Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude and Ola listeners. Welcome to Episode 27 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzius. My guest today may not be a familiar name to you unless you happen to live in Cabell or Wayne Counties. Her name is Sheila Redling, and she's one half of the Sheila and Jim Morning Show on 100.5 WKEE. Sheila's also a writer, and as her nom de plume of S.G. Redling, is the author of an as-yet-unpublished manuscript called Storyteller, which she swears is not a vampire novel, even though vampires are a feature of it. The book may not remain unpublished for long, however. We've asked Sheila on the show today because she's something of a success story coming out of last year's West Virginia Writers' Summer Conference, the details of which we will get to very shortly. Coming to us from WKEE Studios in Huntington, Sheila, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. It's nice to be here. Now, as we record this on this nice rainy Monday morning, I've I've just been up for a little over an hour and a half now, and I'm only midway through my first pot of coffee, but I would imagine uh, you being a morning show host on radio, you've probably been up a good deal longer than me. We, As we speak, we are currently cruising past my lunch hour. Yes, and I'm also on my second pot of coffee. So I am a, a very, very early morning person. My day starts about 4.30 in the morning. I can honestly say I get more done before 9 a.m. than most people do all day, but then I'm done for the afternoon. I, I know the hours well myself. I used to, to be a morning radio jock about 10 years ago in Mississippi. And, and while I eventually resigned myself to getting up at what I called the ass crack of dawn, <laughs> I never actually grew accustomed to it. <laughs> no one does. You never do. And anyone who tells you they do is lying, just for the record. Fifteen years I've been getting up at this hour, and every morning that alarm goes off and I go, no, no. So, yeah, don't feel bad about that, Eric. So have you been doing the, the Sheila and Jim show for 15 years or just been with WKEE for that long? or? I've been doing the morning show for 15 years. I was on with a, another show for about 10 years, and my, my co-host at the time left and went to another station. Sheila and Jim's been on, uh, just coming up on four years this spring. But I've always done mornings on Key, and it's the only radio station I've ever worked for. So I, I don't think of myself as working in radio. I really just love this station, and I love Huntington. So it's a real pleasure to still be on Key Radio after all these years. What's the format? It's Top 40. And it's a very okay. intelligent audience. I, I always say this about radio. If you don't think people are listening carefully to radio, say something stupid on the air. And I guarantee you, they're listening and they're paying attention. And they will let you know about it. They will let you know about it in great detail. And someone is usually recording you. So just just bear that in mind, Eric. Yeah, I, we had a few incidents where we said something really dumb or we went out on a limb and tried something that came off in bad taste afterward. <laughs> and we knew it was dangerous going into it, but we kind of were like, eh, let's do it anyway. Who's listening? Oh, they're listening. Oh, they're listening. They're listening. And they'll give you a lot of slack. I mean, I, I've learned a lot about my audience over the years because they are you have to assume they're smarter than you and they are usually ahead of you. Well, I thought it would be good to start uh, here with a, kind of a thumbnail sketch of your background, kind of where you're from, how long you've been writing, etc. cetera. Uh, you're not originally from West Virginia, but I understand you pretty much grew up here, so you, 
I guess you are from West Virginia in, in that respect. Right. I like to think I wasn't lucky enough to be born in the state, but I got here at six months old. So all things considered, I consider myself a West Virginian. You're adopted. Right. And I mean, the state's been nice enough to take me in, and I'm happy to call it my home. My father worked for the nickel plant, Inco. We remember the glory days of Inco here in Huntington. And so he, like many people, got transferred down from New Jersey. And my mother, when we got transferred here, was convinced that she was dropping off the planet, that she she had no idea. She couldn't find any information on in the library about what to expect in West Virginia. And she had never left New Jersey. And she was sure her life was over. And now you couldn't get her out of West Virginia at gunpoint. You know, she, they, they came down here and just fell in love with the state. Earlier, we teased your novel Storyteller and how it's an urban fantasy novel that is a vampire story without being a vampire story. How exactly does that work? If I could retitle the book, I would call it Storyteller. It's not a vampire story. It's, it's <laughs> And the genre urban fantasy even, I mean, it creates an image that I don't know is necessarily what people think it is. A lot of people think fantasy and they think there's swords and dragons and dark lords and things like that. The premise of the book is that it's a hidden culture living among us. And it's it's a subsect of the of the human race that lives among us anonymously. And they are the truth behind the legend that then grew on to become the vampires. Oh. They are not undead. There's no curse. They are human beings that are just genetically different from us who live in a hidden culture among us. And they go to school with your kids and you've probably dated them. And they, but among themselves, when they are among themselves, they have their own language and their own customs and their own religion. That is separate from ours, but they have to remain anonymous. And they like the vampire myth because if you're looking for an undead Romanian who can't go out in the sun, they're safe. Yeah. That's how you have a vampire novel without vampires. So this, in many ways, allows allows you to play with notions of, of like, immigrant cultures coming over and keeping their traditions. I am a second-generation American. My grandparents were from Hungary and from uh, Newfoundland and Ireland. And I myself was a transplant. My parents were transplants here to West Virginia. And I've always been curious about how you can assimilate without losing your identity. And it really is a question of how do we define human? How would we look at our humanity differently if our lifespan was four times longer? If we had to remain anonymous, if we couldn't leave behind art or literature or even photographs of ourselves, if we had to maintain anonymity at all costs, and how would we feel differently if we were a predator among people who look just like us? I like to ask the questions, what if you tweaked humanity in just a little way? How would that change all the things we consider truths about ourselves? It also allows you to, in addition to vampires, there are any number of other mythical creatures that could come up as areas to explore. Um, not that they are these things, but maybe they were the inspiration for some of the, the tales. Well, I love looking at myths, too, and how they've evolved and how every culture on the planet has certain things that pop up in all of their mythology, whether they're vampires or even the, the baby in the reeds on the river that turns out to be the important prophet. Every culture has these stories that keep coming up again and again and again. So they must be important to us on some sort of subconscious level. And I'm, I'm just curious if you had to get behind those ideas, where did they come from? And were, are they not accidental? Did somebody put them in place to protect themselves? And, and when you start sort of... Taking it backwards like that, you can go in some really interesting directions. Now, is urban fantasy one of your favorite genres? Uh, you know, I, I didn't think it was 
until I wrote it. And then I realized that a lot of what I, I too had the wrong idea about what urban fantasy is. I, again, I heard fantasy and thought fantasy, dragons, but it's not. Mm -hmm. I, I, for example, uh, John Twelve Hawks and the Traveler, you know, people who will just take reality and tweak it just a little bit to make you question what you take for granted. That is urban fantasy, and I'm I'm a big fan of that. I do really like that. I like people who will just make you look at your life in a different way. Yeah, I used to tell people that my favorite genre was science fiction, and that that was primarily what I read. And then I looked at my bookshelf, and very little of it is is technically science fiction. Most of it is, I guess, more speculative fiction, which urban fantasy would fall into as well. Exactly. Things like Neil Gaiman and and other such authors who write kind of horror fantasy tales primarily set in a modern world. Which is something that makes me a little bit nervous about genres because I think while they can help you find your audience and promote your book, they can also intimidate people sometimes. People think, oh, I don't read westerns, and then they won't read Cormac McCarthy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think you have to be careful with labels like that. They serve a great purpose, but you have to be careful about when, when your work crosses a genre or two. Yeah, they're a nice channel to get the people who are your your primary audience there, but it it's not as forgiving for right. folks who aren't swimming in those waters already. Right, and now I'm stepping out of that genre, and I'm going into mystery, and I'm also considering a thriller, because I, I do like to just try new things, kind of spread my wings, stretch myself a little bit. Well, I, I also found some rather damning information, uh, in some people's eyes at least, on your radio station's website, where it said that, You've not read Twilight, The Vampire Diaries, or seen True Blood. Shh, stop it. <laughs> You're going to ruin my gig. It, it, it's nothing against them. I know people have loved them, and they're, they're a huge part of people's lives, and, I mean, they really, really matter. But I'm trying to do something completely different. I don't see, like, I, like where you found that, that uh, evidence, Eric Tattletale. I also <laughs> point at the point that, that Charlene Harris has already done it. I don't need to rewrite what Charlene Harris has done with True Blood or what Stephanie Myers has done with Twilight. I love, I grew up a huge vampire fan. I mean, back with the Corys, you know, and the, the Lost Boys, showing my age. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to take it in an entirely different direction. I think these people who have it going in that direction, they've got it down. I mean, it is, it is as full fleshed out as it can be. So what if you changed it? What if you went behind the myth? Because I never liked the undead aspect of it. Of it. To, to me, that always seemed like sort of counterintuitive to life because I like things to kind of have to follow a certain logic. And I don't like the guilt either, which is something I hate, always hate about vampires. If I could do those things, I would not feel guilty. I, I'm not a Twilight reader myself either. There's not, not that there's anything wrong with it, but uh, <laughs> I did see a photo of a T-shirt online that has probably enraged teenage girls on an international level by this point that read, my name is Twilight. I am a Dracula. <laughs> I, people have given Twilight a lot of crap, and it is what it is. And if it makes people happy and it makes people read, more power to it. I don't think Amen. everything has to be the greatest thing ever. I mean, there. if that were the case, none of us would be watching The Soup, would we? Really? You know, you need a little, a little fluff sometimes. I, I say more power to it. If you enjoy the books, enjoy them. You're not here to, you're not in school anymore. This isn't about making the grade. This is about reading something you enjoy. I hope people who read it will then take another direction as well, though, not just let that be the be-all, end-all of it. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the 2009 West Virginia Writers Summer Conference, which you attended. Was this your first West Virginia Writers Conference? It was my first West Virginia Writers Conference. It was my first Writers Conference. I had just finished Storyteller, and I had been writing, but this was Storyteller was the first time I really thought, this is what I want to do, and I, I'm serious about it, and I have faith in myself to be able to do it. So it's time to start taking those steps into professionalism. And loved the Writers' Conference, really had fun, met some great writers, some great teachers, some great workshops. And that's also where I met my agent, Christine Witham, from Book Sense Literary Agency. Yeah, that was one of the points I wanted to touch on, because each year at the Summer Conference, we, we try to have a major guest from the world of publishing, from either editors or literary agents. And we've had folks like Jeff Herman and Scott Hoffman and Christine Witham, as you mentioned, was, was a guest uh, last year and the year before. And uh, she, last year, was our liaison to bring in Peter Lynch, who's one of the executive editors with the nation's largest independent publisher, Sourcebooks. And he took uh, five-minute pitch sessions from uh, conference attendees. Uh, but, but each year we get the question, what are the success stories? Has anybody gotten an agent or a publishing offer from one of these sessions? How did the process of, of meeting Christine, how did that take shape? Nerve-wrackingly, if I may use that word. I guess I didn't realize until right before I got to the conference that the pitch sessions were an option and because I don't read my email. I'm just going to go ahead and be honest about that. So when I got there, I realized I had this chance to try my first pitch with a publisher and with the agent. And I didn't, because, again, I'm only half paying attention, I thought we were only pitching to Peter at Sourcebooks, who was just such an interesting man, and I hope he's back at the conference this year. He is indeed. Oh, good, because he, he really was interesting, had a lot of insight into the publishing business and independent publishers, and it, I, I just learned a lot from his presentation. But when I sat with Christine beforehand, she was prepping people to help them with their pitch, and it was a nice, relaxed atmosphere. And I got to talking with Christine, and you know how you just you meet somebody and you think, because I had already started several agent submissions, and I hadn't heard from everybody but I, I was talking with her, and I thought, now, this is somebody I can talk to. I, I want to go face-to-face with somebody. When you just meet someone and think, yeah, I get them, and they seem to get me, and this is somebody I could work with. And that was when I stopped looking for an agent. Once I, I just signed with Christine not two weeks later, we talked. I sent her my manuscript, and, you know, she was very, very candid, which is something that's important to me. And it, it just, the rest was history. I signed with her not long after the conference. I just couldn't have been more pleased. She's very enthusiastic, too, which is nice. You don't get this idea that she's watching her, her clock while you're talking or thinking, oh, another pitch. Uh. And you know she hears hundreds of them. But she gives everyone the attention one-on-one. -on -one. And it was really – because I, I was nervous. I was a nervous wreck. I'd never done it before. And I was – my pitch was not all it could have been. Let's just put it that way. And it was nice to meet with somebody who wasn't just waiting to pull a trigger on me and who gave me the chance to fumble a little bit and pull it back together and gave me another shot. It was it was nice. It was a big learning experience. Did she have any um, advice for editing or anything like that as far as your manuscript went? We did edit. We did edit quite a bit because it was long. It was a little too long for the format. And it's still technically too long for the genre because there is world building, though, and with world because I'm building a new culture. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with that phrase, world building, when you – create a, a culture from the inside, you do get a little more leeway with your word count because you do have to put things in place that just aren't there in, in the real world. And potentially set up future novels as well. Right, right, because I've already finished the sequel to Storyteller, which Christine has. And having edited the first one with Christine, the second one, I, I avoided a lot of mistakes I made in the first one. For example, regulating chapter size and 
uh, just just pacing issues that, you know, I learned a lot seeing how the first one had to be edited, that I didn't have to make those mistakes in the second book, which is already done. So what has your experience with books since uh, been so far? What I mean, how many publishers have seen Storyteller at this point? Where, where are you at in the process? Right now, it is in the hands of five New York publishers and three European publishers. And again, its strength is sort of its weakness. Uh, Christine and I have talked about this because it is something completely different. They're always looking for something different, but then again, it has to be something that you can define. It's there's almost this catch-22. It's like, we want something completely different, and you write it, and they say, well, what's it like? Well, it's not like anything because it's completely different. So Christine's very enthusiastic about it because it, you know, vampires are so very popular. Even though this isn't a vampire novel, it's something completely different it does have sort of a built-in audience. So it's with several major New York publishers right now. Another, uh, Simon & Schuster just asked for it recently, which is exciting. And hopefully, now it's just a waiting game. So now, while I'm waiting for that, that's why I'm going back to writing my own. Because if I stand by the phone and wait for the phone to ring, we all know how that ends up, Eric. All I can control, I had to finally come to terms with the fact that the only part of this process I can control is the writing. So I'll let, I'm not going to do the weapons work. I'm going to let Christine do what Christine does and let the publishers do what they do. And all I can do is write. So I'm back to my writing and it's, it's a much better place to be, much less nerve wracking. Well, I have to say, not knowing what the exact concept of Storyteller was until just talking to you just now, it's a very intriguing, very intriguing concept. And I think that it would do well. I don't want to say it's cruising on the coattails of the vampire craze right now, but it's it's so interrelated that I think it could pick up some some audience from that. You know, Eric, you can say that as many times as you like. You can just loop that, as a matter of fact, and just keep saying how much the in how intriguing the the premise is, and just keep broadcasting it again and again, if you don't mind. <laughs> I hope so. I hope people will give it a try because I know when you say the word vampire, people go, "Oh, it's one of those books." It's not. It really isn't. How did you hear about the West Virginia Writers' Conference? I decided I wanted to go to writers' conferences. I mean, it was that time I had reached that point. I was looking for an agent, looking for a publisher, and I went about it in the great universal search fashion. I Googled you. <laughs> that great universal source of all knowledge, Google. And I, I found, I couldn't believe it. I hadn't heard of you. I felt really guilty about that, that I had not heard of West Virginia Writers, and I knew that I could relax at a West Virginia Writers Conference up in Ripley. It's beautiful. I knew the area. And I really wanted my first conference to be less stressful. I, I was I was really, really pleased to find out that my own state was having a conference. And I just couldn't have been happier with the conference itself. I had a great time. met a lot of great people that I've stayed in touch with since the conference, yourself included. It is pretty unique as far as, as writers' conferences go. That's what I've heard. Well, Sheila Redling, or should I say S.G. Redling, uh, we look very much forward to reading Storyteller when it does find its publisher. Love to have you back when it does. I will definitely be back. Thank you so much. And I will definitely see you at the conference this year, right? Yes, yes, indeed. (laughs) Sheila Redling can be heard weekday mornings on WKEE out of Huntington. Since January, she's also become a blogger. Her blog, I Don't Believe in Reality, can be found at sgredling.com. And to remind you, Sheila's literary agent, Christine Witton of BookSense Literary Agency from Charleston, along with executive editor Peter Lynch from Sourcebooks, will both be guests at the 2010 Summer Conference. Hint, hint. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker. 
whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com. This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.